You obviously know Kung Fu. Hey, what's up? It's Ernie Reyes Jr. from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. <laughs> The fall of the Shaolin Temple sends its warrior monks into hiding, but one man makes it his life's mission to prepare his mind and body to avenge his fallen brethren. When the battle spans a generation, what price will father and son have to pay to restore the name of Shaolin? Welcome to the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and in this episode, we meet the OG Kung Fu bad guy, Pai Mei, and celebrate Father's Day appropriately with Executioners of Death. <laughs> executioners of Death. And come on, what other kind of executioner is there, really? Or as it was originally released, Executioners from Shaolin is 1977 Shaw Brothers classic directed by Lau Kar Long, starring Chen Quan Tai, Lily Li, Wong Yu, and Lo Li in his most iconic role ever. This film was one of the very first movies that I can recall ever leaving a lasting impact on me as a kid. It's not a particularly unique film by any stretch because, as with many others, the plot centers around revenge, although in this film that vengeance simmers over a decade and then spreads into the next generation, so there's that. First, it was my introduction to the menacing figure of Pai Mei, the big daddy of all bad guys in this genre. He pops up time and again throughout a few other Shaw Brothers classics, and newer audiences will recognize his wispy flowing white beard and unruly eyebrows from his appearance in the Kill Bill movies, as played by the inimitable Gordon Liu. However, what stuck with me about this film wasn't just Pai Mei. In fact, it wasn't even a character. It was a prop. A very unique prop that was used in the training sequences that I've never seen used in another movie since. Let's get into the film and I'll point it out to you when we get there. The film opens with the trademark Lao Kar Lung intro, where Lo Li as Pai Mei and Li Hoi San as Chi San duke it out against a stark red backdrop. The Manchurian court, having learned that the rebels were using the Shaolin Temple as a cover for their activities, ordered priest Pai Mei to lead a raid upon the temple. Pai Mei's men surrounded the temple and set fire to it. In a bid to save his disciples, priest Chi San of the Shaolin Temple engaged priest Pai Mei in a duel to the death. I always saw Lo Li as kind of the Charles Bronson of the Kung Fu world. He had a rougher cut about him and his fighting style always felt like they had some heavier power behind it as opposed to the acrobatics and fluidity of other actors. As Pai Mei, Li used that mystique to create a sense of menace behind the bushy-browed villain. Pai Mei is supposed to be this almost otherworldly Kung Fu master who operates with extreme efficiency, so every strike has to count and Lo Li delivers every time. In the intro, we see what kind of skill we're dealing with as Pai Mei demonstrates his resistance to blows that might kill normal men. Monk Chi San is no slouch either, though, as he repeatedly tags Pai Mei, and at one point uses a series of headbutts to back Pai Mei up. But if Pai Mei is anything, he's deceptively crafty, and he gets in a strike to Chi San's ears, which throws the old priest off balance. Pai Mei then locks Chi San in the Pai Mei signature leg bar and delivers the killing blow. That's the stylized setup to the first scene of the film, as Chen Quan Tai, playing Hong Si Quan, is leading a group of monks away from the burning embers of what was once Shaolin Temple. The group's in bad shape, and one of Hong's friends, Sao Hu, is forced to leave some badly injured brothers behind. When the group finds a spot to rest and take stock of their wounded, 
It's short-lived because another Shaolin brother, Tung Chin Chin, here played by the aforementioned Gordon Liu, pops up over the hill with some really terrible news. Understandably, this sets Hong Si Kwan off, and he rashly starts heading back, but the brothers manage to talk some sense into him and stop him from running headlong into a garrison of Manchu warriors and almost certain death. They decide to run and fight another day, but instead, they run right into an ambush. A small army of Manchu archers blocks their escape route, and here Gordon Liu takes a few arrows to his leg and then makes a brutal command decision. Your Kung Fu's better than mine. You must take command. Avenge. Avenge Master's death. I rely on you. Hong Si Kwan, looking at the gory gash in Gordon Liu's leg, has to reluctantly retreat. Liu, meanwhile, charges right at the archers and starts taking down as many as he can. Aided by other grievously wounded brothers, he ducks swords and uses soldiers as shields while cutting down anybody in his way. The leader of the Manchu army pauses the melee for a moment when he realizes that the guy he's fighting is actually Tung Chin Chin himself, and he wants to bring him in as a prisoner. But Tung is not having any of that. He tosses aside a few more soldiers until the lieutenant of the Manchu steps in. It's a straight-up hand-to-hand exchange, and watching Gordon Liu work is always fun. The lieutenant goes after the wounded leg, which slows Tung down but doesn't stop him. He makes his way to the boss, who's the Shaolin trader, and here Gordon Liu puts on an impressive display of ferocity, which you don't get to see much of because Liu later went on to kind of typecast himself as a controlled and contained monk figure. Here he manages to snap the leg of the leader and punctuates it with a vicious growl before getting back into it. Two soldiers manage to grab a hold of him, and the order comes down to just kill him. As the archers line up, Tung Chin Chin gets loose and uses two soldiers as semi-shields while facing down the arrows. The leader doesn't hold back, though, and lets the arrows loose, making all three guys look like pincushions. Tung Chin Chin, however, uses what little he has left to charge one final time and take out two more soldiers before dropping to his knees and expiring with his eyes wide open. The Manchu general, staring at the grisly final tableau, can do nothing but admire his persistence. My God! Oh, God! A few days later, the beaten and battered general gets called before Pai Mei and tries to persuade the priest to help him round up the Shaolin stragglers. Pai Mei doesn't seem too concerned, though. (laughs) I have already killed the head priest. Don't worry about it. The disciples are now well aware of the fact that my Kung Fu is unbeatable. So just keep searching for them. You'll capture them all in the end. I'm sure of it. Those disciples, meanwhile, have gone into hiding in plain sight by joining up with traveling theater troops who move about the countryside in red boats, also known historically as red junks. Take it away, voiceover guy. The red boats were a military force operating amongst the people of China, fighting the Manchus. Helping the people, they gave their assistance wherever there was a people's uprising. The red boats posed as theater troops and traveled about throughout the whole of China, spreading the word. When we catch up with our rebels, Hong Si Kwan is trying to get them organized and keep them motivated. Our beloved master, Chi Chan. He gave his life in the defense of the Shaolin Temple. 
and so did a great many of our brothers. And now, Mother Tong's dead too. We must avenge Later in a small village, the townsfolk are watching a kung fu demonstration by Miss Fong Yun-chun, played by Lily Lee. The crowd's enthralled until someone starts shouting that the red boats are coming. Miss Fong's a little put off by this, as her show seems to always get upstaged by this red junk troupe. As the actors quickly set up an impromptu show, Miss Fong sticks around to watch, but she's less than impressed. Sao Hu, in a bid to defend his performers, confronts the girl, but he gets a bit more than he was expecting. So this isn't really an epic fight scene or anything, because it's more for Miss Fong to show that she's not one to be trifled with. Miss Fong's played by Lily Lee, whose career began with the Shaw Brothers from the age of 12, and she's been in a number of kung fu classics since, like The Young Master, Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, and The Wandering Swordsman. Sao Hu tries to sweep her legs, but Miss Fong employs a leg lock stance that Sao Hu's kicks can't seem to budge. She proceeds to kick him around the square until Hong Si Kwan steps in. Hong Si Kwan brings his tiger style to the game against Miss Fong's crane style. The pair trade blows for a while until Miss Fong's uncle breaks things up and apologizes for his niece's behavior. Hong Si Kwan, though, is more intrigued than annoyed and instead invites Miss Fong onto their ship to check out his operations. Sao Hu initially protests and mentions Hong Si Kwan by name, which piques Miss Fong's interest enough to get her on the boat. There we see that she and Hong Si Kwan get better acquainted, which does not go unnoticed by Sao Hu and the rest of the crew. After a few months of this, the crew inexplicably still titter and point like grade schoolers, and Sao Hu states the obvious. I think we'd better start making wedding plans now. These last few months, Brother Hong has never been separated from Mistress Fong. And after a scene of some good-natured ribbing between Miss Fong and the crew, we quick cut to the next scene where fireworks are being set off in celebration of the wedding of Hong Si Kwan and Miss Fong. Now, for the next few minutes, we get a really kind of awkward look at the newlyweds' relationship, particularly as it pertains to what should be going on in the honeymoon suite. Apparently, Miss Fong is not too keen on doing the deed, which naturally frustrates Hong Si Kwan immensely. The crew even make fun of him for not sealing the deal, but after a few nights, Hong Si Kwan essentially gets forceful with his new wife, which she seems to enjoy. Scene is a little on the rapey side, but... The next morning, a revived and rejuvenated Hong Si Kwan is up early to practice his Kung Fu with renewed vigor. Now I'm going to skip over a few details in the section because, frankly, this rather lengthy rom-com sequence slows the movie down for me. I would have rather they just threw up a title card that read a few months later. Which is where we pick things up and get back into the drama a little bit when we visit the general from earlier as he makes a drastic command decision. orders, the Manchu troops take torches to the boats and wind up cutting down a number of rebels in the process. When the news gets back to Hong Si Kwan, he orders the remaining rebels to give up the boats and scatter to the winds so they can regroup periodically and rebuild to avenge their fallen comrades. Sao Hu, meanwhile, decides to stay with Hong Si Kwan and Miss Fong, who we now see is a few months pregnant. We then cut to a few more months later as a nervous Hong Si Kwan is waiting outside the house while inside we hear the wails of Miss Fong as she struggles with the birth of the couple's new baby boy, Wen Ding. By the way, time moves very quickly in kung fu movies, so try to keep up. Because we immediately cut to the next scene where the five-month-old baby Wen Ding is now rocking in a crib while Pops practices some kung fu. Here, Hong Si Kwan laments how his kung fu has deteriorated because of their busy life with the new baby. 
He rededicates himself to his martial arts study to prepare him for his vengeance quest, which has now been drawn out for a year or so during what seems to have been a pleasantly peaceful time for him. However, Miss Fong is quick to point out a minor flaw in his plan. Haven't I told you? We cannot march by me. Don't underestimate Tiger Kung Fu. Tiger style is unbeatable. But still, Bai Mei is not an ordinary Kung Fu fighter. He is so strong, your skill will be useless against him. To further kick him while he's down, she says that if he has any chance of beating Pai Mei, he'd have to perfect his Tiger style for at least 10 more years. And just like that, bang, it's 10 years later, as evinced by Hong Si Kwan's brand new cheesy pencil mustache, which he wears proudly while using his tiger style to cut trees down with his bare hands. What is the Pattern family? Hey y'all, it's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant Podcast. This is Michael Vasquez of the No Soundbites Allowed Podcast. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob from the Something Something Cast. This is Knock from the Geek Over Podcast. This is Jeff with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. This is Daniel from the Toe on the Trigger Podcast. This is Dave from the Parlapod Podcast. Hey guys, this is Mike from the Mike Jolet Show. Woo! We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks Podcast. We are you. Podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow. So follow us on Twitter at Podern Family. Use the hashtag Podern Family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same. Potter and Family, where great podcasts come home. Back at home, Wen Ding, now a strapping young lad of 10, is training in crane style with his mom. She has him maintain a locked leg stance to build up strength while she runs off to do some chores. Quick note here about Wen Ding's appearance. While we know he's a boy, for some reason, he wears his hair in the Chinese equivalent of Afro puffs, so... He's got two little ponytails sprouting from the side of his head. This is not lost on his friends who spy on him from beyond the wall and make fun of him for learning a girly style of kung fu. Look at him, Hong Wen Ting, standing so still. <laughs> you shut up. Listen, you're learning your mother's kung fu. Only girlies would learn that kind of thing. If you keep it up, you become a girl. <laughs> Say that again. And what if I do? You don't know yourself if you're a boy or a girl. They head in and try to bully him, but Wen Ding knows enough kung fu to chase him away. Unfortunately, he chases them right into the path of his returning father, who chides Wen Ding for fighting his friends. As they both head home, Wen Ding hops onto his pop's shoulders and locks tight so that he can't be shaken off. I wonder if that leg training will come in handy elsewhere in this film. Coincidentally, Hong Si Kwan happens to learn of Pai Mei's current whereabouts just as he's completed his 10 years of kung fu revenge training. I must find him. Because I have to kill him, for the sake of my Shaolin brothers. Miss Fong wants to talk him out of it, but he's set, so as he plans on leaving his family behind for a while, she encourages him to heed some advice. You might be good enough to beat him. If you are, kill him. If you're not, then run. So if you're a married man out there, you gotta admire the skill and guile of Miss Fong here because she managed to support and at the same time thwart her foolish husband's vengeance quest and got a full decade out of him. Honey, listen, I love you and I'm all for you going after Pai Mei and fighting to the death and all, but your kung fu isn't quite ready yet, so you should really practice for, oh, let's say 10 years and then you go out and you kill yourself a big bad guy, okay? We cut to Hong Si Kwan approaching the outer gates of a temple and he screws up his face tight and then marches up the daunting stairs towards the entrance. 
A few monks try to stand in his way, but he brushes them aside, then grabs them by their collars as he moves them all towards the main courtyard. Fight scene. Inside, he's received by a group of monks, and after he throws aside his two hostages, Hong Si Kwan has to mix it up with the priests. We see how effective his 10 years of training has been as he's able to cut through these guys without any effort at all. He calmly steps through the crowd, punching and kicking through their plotting attacks, and after he cuts down about a dozen of them, Pai Mei himself steps out to see what's shaking. Hong Si Kwan takes a good hard look, and he and Pai Mei stare each other down for a few seconds. You are Hong Zikuan. Lo Li absolutely relishes this role, and he plays it so well that it's no wonder that Pai Mei is as legendary a villain as he is in this genre. Everything he says drips with disdain and hubris, which he then backs up with some amazing kung fu. Hong Zikuan, however, tries to not be too impressed and instead doesn't speak but flashes his tiger fists, which Pai Mei shuts down for the moment. See, apparently it's house rules that anyone challenging Pai Mei has to survive a battle with two swordsmen first. That's a hell of a house advantage. And Pai Mei flashes the slightest of smiles as he puts Hong Si Kwan to the test, though you get the sense that he knows Hong Si Kwan will pass it and just wants to see him squirm for a little bit. So these two swordsmen start swinging their blades around, but Hong Si Kwan easily moves around them. He's still proudly flashing those tiger fists while leaping over and under the steel. When he's had enough, Hong Si Kwan manages to grab their hilts and rip the swords away from their owners and then stab them through the throats, all as Pai Mei watches with some measure of near admiration. Pai Mei slowly steps down and approaches Hong Si Kwan and, without so much as a hint of worry, extends his arms to have his servants remove his outer cloak while Hong Si Kwan stands at the ready. Hong Si Kwan charges forward with his tiger fists, but in a display of what made Lo Li's Pai Mei so compelling, Li steps away easily from every strike and then casually and purposefully smirks right in Hong Si Kwan's face. And if that wasn't demoralizing enough, right as he absorbs a hit without flinching, he straight up tells Hong Si Kwan the way things are. My tiger kung fu is better than yours. I don't think you're good enough to avenge your master. As the fight continues, Hong Si Kwan does everything he can to land some hits, but even if they tear away some of Pai Mei's clothing, Pai Mei shrugs everything off like it's a fly buzzing around him. Hong Si Kwan pushes hard but grows ever frustrated at how ineffective his attack is. He starts going for the familiar weak spots, but when he seemingly does manage to land an eye gouge, Pai Mei throws him off and then slowly opens his eyes to reveal that he's completely unharmed. Hong Si Kwan makes the universal WTF face when Pai Mei smiles and nearly winks at him. Unfortunately for Hong Si Kwan, Pai Mei decides to actually bring some heat and starts to actually fight. It's only a few seconds in when Pai Mei connects and draws first blood. It's enough, however, to send Hong Si Kwan reeling. Again, Pai Mei rubs it in by standing up, pulling aside his tunic, and essentially daring Hong Si Kwan to come get some free shots at him. Hong Si Kwan remembers the advice that Miss Fong gave him before he left. If you're not, then run. Hong Si Kwan, knowing that he's facing long odds, drops into a faint attack roll, then makes a quick leap for the exit. Outside, the damage he took makes it hard for him to walk, so he settles for rolling down the steps of the temple. Pai Mei, in no hurry to chase him, instead knocks over a huge stone ornament and rolls it down after him, Indiana Jones style. Hong Si Kwan manages to evade it long enough for Sao Hu to show up out of nowhere and throw himself in front of the stone diverting it just enough for Hong Si Kwan to get clear. Hong Si Kwan, realizing what his friend just did for him, rushes over to get some important final words before retreating back to his home. So, I arrived just too late. I just found out by May's weakest times between one o'clock and 
three. Only then can you, can you kill him, man. So... Back at home, Miss Fong tends to a battered and broken Hong Si Kwan with Wen Ding looking on. As they mourn their fallen friend, Wen Ding lashes out and sets up the transition to several years later, as a now-grown Wen Ding is practicing his crane-style kung fu with his mom. She's still got plenty of tricks up her sleeve, though, and holds her own, but you can see how much she admires the way Wen Ding's kung fu has developed. Meanwhile, Hong Si Kwan has been training hard since his defeat, and we can tell because he's got a really serious look on his face as he practices, and right here is where my weird fascination with this movie began. As I said at the top of the show, being introduced to Pai Mei in this film was awesome, but I inevitably go back to this piece of training equipment that I used to obsess over as a kid. Hong Si Kwan first puts it to use here to help him train his hand attack speed. What he uses is a six-foot-tall bronze statue, which has a number of grooves cut along its body. These grooves apparently follow the Qi pathways, and in those grooves flows an apparently inexhaustible supply of ball bearings. Hong Si Kwan strikes at the head of the statue just right, thus releasing the ball bearings. As they flow through the grooves, Hong Si Kwan strikes at several points and tries to extract the one ball bearing that's marked with a certain character. Somehow he pulls that one ball from the statue, but by his own judgment, he's too slow, so he does it over and over again. When I was a kid, I swore that if I could get my hands on one of those ball-bearing statues, I could become a total kung fu master. These were well before the days of the internet, so there was no way to search this thing, but my dad was more than happy to point out that it probably wasn't a real thing, and even if I had one, the most I'd learn is how it would be physically impossible to have ball-bearings roll down metal grooves and still somehow be extracted without destroying that track or my fingers, whichever came first. Anyway, Wending takes this opportunity to try and test his skills against his pops. He surprises his dad and we get a quick sparring session where Wending shows that he's become pretty adept at crane style, but still not quite up to the level of Hong Si Kwan. Wending relies on more trickery and misdirection while dear old dad is all about a withering, relentless attack that throws Wending through the laundry and into the well. All the shenanigans land the boys in trouble with mom and they spend the rest of the evening rewashing and sewing the laundry. Mom throws Hong Si Kwan a telling look and she realizes that his bloodlust hasn't quite faded despite the passage of seven more years. If nothing else, Hong Si Kwan knows how to grudge like a boss. But even with 17 years of training, Miss Fong thinks Hong Si Kwan should have learned her crane style to augment his skills. But a stubborn Hong Si Kwan won't even have it. With Wen Ding looking on, he decides that he's going to leave the next day and should return in 10 days' time. The next day as he's leaving, Hong Si Kwan exchanges a long, foreboding look at his family and heads out. Okay, should I do my movie voice? Yeah, do it. Hi, this is a beardo and a weirdo talk film. A movie podcast. Actually, it's, isn't it a film podcast? Because it's called A Beardo and a Weirdo Talk Film. A Beardo and a Weirdo Talk Film. A film podcast about films. <laughs> F-I-L. F to the I to the L-M-S. Films, yeah. We talk about films, don't we? We talk about old films. Mainly new what, films, though. Matt, Matt, enlighten me. What, what was the film we just reviewed? Um, I believe it was Fantastic Beasts. Ooh. And Where to Not Find Them. Ooh. And and what was your rating out of out of the mat 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 out of ten? Uh, that was a reasonably warm seven out of ten. What was yours, Joe? I gave it an eight. An eight. An so eight. You you think it's slightly better Some, than me, but oh, dirty slut! He just gives everything away. You just give it away, didn't just you? Just take it, take it, take take the eight, take the eight, take it, take it deep. You know you, know you want the eight. But yeah, uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud. There's YouTube, but there's no video footage, so you just listen to it and look at a picture of us. So uh, that's good. Yep, and Eddie Redmayne has autism, and he guns a lot. I can do magic, me. It's all started to fall into place. 
<laughs> when Ding in his innocence tries to reassure his mom that everything's going to be okay, but here, Miss Fong explains why this may be the last time that he sees his father. Last time. His Kung Fu was much worse than Bai Mei's. So Bai Mei didn't mind him escaping. He didn't take him seriously. But now, he's improved a lot. If Bai Mei wins, he'll make sure that this time, he doesn't escape. Dad! Wen Ding rushes after his father and physically blocks him from going any further. Hong Sikuan, however, will not be stopped. Wen Ding presses hard, insisting that his dad come back home. Father and son throw down, but you can see that Hong Si Kwan is pulling his punches a bit, while Wen Ding's giving all he's got. Hong Si Kwan works a staff that Wen Ding has trouble avoiding, and after he gets pinned, Hong Si Kwan takes the opportunity to explain why he's got to go face Pai Mei. Before your time, Brother Tung and the others gave their lives, so that we could escape. They died for us. Now, why did they want us to escape? Because they wanted us to get revenge for our master. Back at the temple and the familiar steps, another set of monks recognizes Hong Si Kwan. Mind you, despite this being seven years after the last fight, and they alert the temple to his arrival. The temple, it seems, was more than prepared because an entire army of monks rushes out to stand in his way. Armed with just a staff, Hong Si Kwan makes his way up the stairs, beating away the monks like they were gnats. Some of these guys are armed with swords, but they all wind up as bodies littering the steps behind Hong Si Kwan. We get to see a couple more weapons like the triple irons, but still... Hong Si Kwan beats the horde back into the main courtyard. Using his staff as a makeshift sundial, Hong Si Kwan realizes that it's 1 o'clock and he needs to get to Pai Mei while he's at his weakest. If you remember, he's got a window of two hours to do his damage, so he rushes in, but the monks don't follow. Instead, as per Pai Mei's orders, they block the exit so that Hong Si Kwan cannot escape. That's definitely not a good sign. Hong Si Kwan calls out Pai Mei, and he's greeted with a small group of men led by the Shaolin Trader General Kao Chin Chun from earlier. Pai Mei smugly confirms his own brilliance. <laughs> Qin Zhong, didn't I tell you so? There's no need to find him. I know he'd come back here of his own accord. <laughs> Just as we've been expecting. Wait, hold up. Just as we've been expecting? For the last seven years? I just picture Cao Chin Chun getting up every day going, Today's the day. And then going to bed that night saying, Any day now. Fight scene. Luckily for us, today actually is the day, and Cao Chin Chun steps up. Pai Mei watches as Hong Si Kwan makes some really short work of the general. He handles the attacks easily and tosses the clumsy general aside along with a few other soldiers who try to get in a few licks. Hong Si Kwan maneuvers the fight close to Pai Mei and, after knocking the general down again, rolls it right into an attack on Pai Mei himself. The years of training and knowledge of Pai Mei's weakest time seems to come together as Hong Si Kwan manages to land a strike that tears away a patch of Pai Mei's tunic and knocks him back on his heels. But though Pai Mei can recognize his improved skill, he still manages to outpunch him and talk trash while doing so. Hong Si Kwan keeps attacking, but Pai Mei starts to turn it up and lands some heavy blows that do some real damage. After one devastating blow to his chest, Hong Si Kwan falls back and notices the shadows and starts to lament that it's already 3 o'clock. So either Hong Si Kwan got hit so hard that he blacked out for two hours, or we're going to have to accept that it went from 1 to 3 in the span of about 10 minutes because the story needs Pai Mei back at full life force right now. And at full strength, Pai Mei is just a bit more than Hong Si Kwan can handle. He has to shift to defend himself and attacking whenever he can just because he can't keep up with Pai Mei's speed. In another cold display of superiority, 
Pai Mei smirks at Hong Si Quan and casually walks toward him without any defense whatsoever. Hong Si Quan gathers whatever strength he has left and starts going right after Pai Mei's weak spots, namely his eyes and his groin. But being that it's after three, Pai Mei is once again able to withstand anything Hong Si Quan throws at him. With Hong Si Quan's leg locked between his thighs, Pai Mei shakes off another eye gouge attempt and deals a crushing blow to Hong Si Quan's leg. And since he's not about to go anywhere anyway, Pai Mei decides to let him in on a little secret. <laughs> Hong Si Quan, you estimated well that my weak point would be down below at one o'clock. You were almost right. But now I've learned to move my weak point around at will. After one, my weak point is always up here. <laughs> With Hong Si Quan dead to rights, Pai Mei instructs his men to take him alive so they can press him for more info on the other rebels. Bloodied and beaten, Hong Si Quan lashes out one final time and tries to kill a guard, forcing Pai Mei to rush in and deal a fatal strike. Like Tung Chin Chin before him, Hong Si Quan dies frozen in a defiant stance, tiger fists bared, and eyes fixed firmly on his killer. Meanwhile, back home, Wen Ding sits waiting patiently for his dad to come striding through the gates victorious. He won't be back. Uh, uh, do you mean his... You must grow up. You must learn to face reality. What? Do you mean that dad's already been killed by, by me? Mm. In their grief, they jointly decide that the only option they have left is to send Wen Ding after Pai Mei to avenge his father's death. Mom even suggests that Wen Ding not use Crane Kung Fu and to use Tiger Kung Fu instead, despite the utter failure of dear old dad who studied nothing but Tiger Kung Fu for 17 years before completely laying an egg at Pai Mei's feet. This is clearly a most brilliant plan, except for one minor oversight. I can't do Tiger style. Dad never taught me. Mom has an answer for that too. Apparently, Hong Si Quan had a Tiger Kung Fu manual that he read every day. Now, if I had to judge him from his last fight, I'd have to question his literacy level, but Wen Ding seeks it out anyway and, upon finding it, begins to train even though the manual is incomplete due to being ravaged by rats. Which, now that I think about it, must be why Dad was as successful as he was. Anyway, in the next scene, Wen Ding begins training with the ball-bearing statue and tries to piece together what his father was trying to do, especially with regards to the time of day and where exactly to attack. Wen Ding employs that leg lock that he used way back when atop his father's shoulders, but is still a bit frustrated by the stingy statue. As he continues to train, he recognizes that the manual is becoming more and more useless, so he falls back on his crane-style kung fu, which Wong Yu displays effectively as he whips his way through some forest thicket, snapping branches with just the tips of his fingers. One late evening, Wen Ding again works on the statue, but this time he's laced the rails with tongues of flame, which he has to put out in sequence. Again, for whatever reason, this prop intrigued me, and it most assuredly held a secret to Kung Fu Mastery, if only I knew where to get one of my own. After a year of hard work, Wen Ding decides that it's now or never, and he bids his mom goodbye to take on Pai Mei. We then cut to the familiar steps of the temple where Wen Ding offers up a final prayer to his dad before heading in to what might be his own death. Dad, in fact, I've only learned a little, tiger style. All the other moves I know, I had to make up myself. If you can hear this, please protect me. I'll avenge your death, even if I must die to accomplish it. Speaking of prayer, Pai Mei is deep in meditation when Wen Ding decides to scale the outer wall and work his way past the monks on cleanup duty. He walks right into Pai Mei's chambers and gets his Inigo Montoya moment. So, you're Pai Mei, huh? 
Are you the guy who killed the Shaolin priest and murdered the country's best fighter, Hong Si Kwan, the same Pai Mei? When Pai Mei acknowledges it, Wending throws his tiger claws, but Pai Mei is immediately unimpressed and catches the punch between his thighs and refuses to let go. Wending has to drag him across the floor with Pai Mei smirking the entire time. It's clearly just a game to him. He throws Wending across the room before asking for his name. Wending reveals that he's Hong Si Kwan's son, which pleases Pai Mei. <laughs> I'm glad you've come. Now you are going to die. And that's him being glad. What would happen if he had been perturbed that he came? Hello, this is Kenny B. This is Tom KW. And we are two of the hosts from the Podcast on Fire Network. You want Asian cinema in a podcast? Well, we got the solution for you. Because at the Podcast on Fire Network, there's seven plus shows for you to choose from. You want Hong Kong action cinema and audio commentaries? We got that. You want dirty Hong Kong cinema? We got that. You want the eternal question, what's Korean cinema answer? We'll answer that. The flagship show Podcast on Fire covers classic Hong Kong cinema. Everything from Bruce Lee to Jackie Chan, John Woo and Jet Li. Featuring in-depth discussions with an aura of fun. This is your primary stop in the podcast world for classic Hong Kong cinema. So join me, Kenny B and Tom KW and a cast of thousands at podcastonfire.com. Also available on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio and Come chat with us on the Podcast on Fire Network Facebook group and on Twitter at Podcast on Fire. Podcast on Fire Network. It's Asian cinema in a podcast. Final fight. In one of the coldest fight sequences you're going to see, Pai Mei, clearly pitying Wending's tiger style, starts to mock teach him some moves. He calls out some stances as he's smacking Wending around. And like his father before him, Wending attacks the usual weak spots on Pai Mei, going for the eyes first, and again... Pai Mei just laughs it off. However, because Wen Ding has had to improvise from an incomplete manual, he starts freelancing some moves and manages to land a few attacks and rip some of that wispy white beard off of Pai Mei's face, unsettling the normally unflappable Pai Mei. Wen Ding continues to mix in all kinds of improvised styles as well as a few crane-style moves and manages to not only do some damage, but also frustrating and confusing Pai Mei. An enraged Pai Mei starts pouring it on and lands some nasty blows to Wending's chest. The fight moves to the outside stairs where Wending looks to be in some really, really bad shape. With blood leaking from his mouth and unsteady legs, he keeps pushing at Pai Mei, who's now regained some of his swagger. Wending tries a last-ditch feint and pretends to keel over, then rolls into a kick that lands square in Pai Mei's happy sack. This doesn't phase Pai Mei at all as he instead starts to drag Wending around with just the strength of his leg lock. As Pai Mei rears back, ready to deal his signature killing blow, Wen Ding calls up that nifty shoulder climb move from his youth and plants himself squarely on Pai Mei's shoulders. Despite his best efforts, Pai Mei simply can't shake Wen Ding. Wen Ding tries several attacks at Pai Mei from above, but nothing seems to work. Pai Mei whips backwards in one more attempt to shake Wen Ding loose, but Wen Ding's lock is solid and he instead whips back up and in a blink, rips Pai Mei's man bun off the top of his head and uses a crane kung fu punch to bury his fingers in Pai Mei's skull. As Pai Mei screams out, Wen Ding digs his fingers into Pai Mei's eyes, and the pair both begin to tumble down the stairs, until Pai Mei pops off one last dramatic leap into a cool freeze frame. And back to the voiceover guy. A combination of tiger and crane kung fu is what finally killed Pai Mei. 
Until very recently, Executioners of Death was available on both Netflix and Amazon, but has since disappeared. So if you want to catch this feel-good Father's Day film, you're going to have to scour YouTube or visit one of those bootleg mall kiosks. Mark Pollard of Kung Fu Cinema called this film an essential old-school classic, while Love HK Film only called it so-so. I've got a soft spot for this film, if only for the glorious villainy of Pai Mei, and, of course, my Kung Fu training statue, which one day will be mine. Oh yes, it will be mine. Much love to my dad and all the dads out there on this Father's Day, at least here in the U.S., and as always, hit me up on all the social media at Kung Fu Drive-In. Feel free to swing by iTunes and leave a review. I'm up to 29 awesomely positive ratings now and would love to cross that 30 threshold if you haven't yet stopped by. In the meantime, shout-outs to all my Twitter peeps at the hashtag Potter and Family who continue to be a super supportive group of indie voices all looking to share some of their passion with you, the listeners. I'm going to get to work right away on the next podcast, so until next time, Poison Clan, peace. On the hands running down the thousand stairs, the fatally can now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless idea, they're rolling over the land. Yeah, the little big soldier is old, otherwise, every wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to raise jars. Fight for the cars, then pass here, but blast on the end back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but boards don't hit back. Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back. The Tai Chi master, jelly's even faster. The channel because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine But see Maggie show your spine oh, Golden Swallow has arrived Shang-Chi movies will the hero will survive We've got the brave archer Make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight May as well pick a spot Yeah the sky goes black Cut the vampires back We've got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all So stand back He plays the black magic On the soul of the sword And our sword will travel Until his body's on floors Yeah Wing Chun Shaolin and Manti style Yeah defeat the enemy me and watch you run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claw See it's a game of death, yo You're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China Counting the TikTok The Shogun Assassin Slashing blood or just drip drop The head kick, neck drop Balance that won't stop Wanna kill Bill Better get the assassins He's got her just in yellow But she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms That's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor When the blood it'll splatter Against the walls No fear at all To kill them all There's always blood spilled When you head into a war Fearless Unleashed The fist of legend at the car jet lead I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these There's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we get it drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's war, we smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine